Welcome to the Words That Minister Grace podcast. In this podcast, we read excerpts from books that the host finds edifying. Expect to hear from authors such as Matthew Henry, John Calvin, and J.C. Ryle. We take our name from Ephesians 4.29, where Paul exhorts us that our speech should build up each other, or as the King James says, minister grace. I am your host, the fake King Hesse. In this episode, we continue our reading of Calvin's Institute's book to chapter 8. We will be reading section 13 through 14. Calvin discusses the preface to the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. 13. Whether you take the former sentence as a part of the commandment, or read it separately, is to me a matter of indifference, provided you grant that it is a kind of preface to the whole law. In enacting laws, the first thing to be guarded against is their being forthwith abrogated by contempt. The Lord, therefore, takes care in the first place that this shall not happen to the law about to be delivered, by introducing it with a triple sanction. He claims to himself power and authority to command, that he may impress the chosen people with the necessity of obedience. He holds forth a promise of favor as a means of alluring them to the study of holiness, and reminds them of his kindness that he may convict them of ingratitude if they fail to make a suitable return. By the name Lord are denoted power and lawful dominion. If all things are from him, and by him consist, they ought in justice to bear reference to him, as Paul says, Romans 11.36. This name, therefore, is in itself sufficient to bring us under the authority of divine majesty, for it were monstrous for us to wish to withdraw from the dominion of him out of whom we cannot even exist. 14. After showing that he has a right to command, and to be obeyed, he next in order not to seem to drag man by mere necessity, but to allure them, graciously declares that he is the God of the church. For the mode of expression implies that there is a mutual relation included in the promise, I will be their God and they shall be my people, Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-three. Hence Christ infers immortality of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, from the fact that God had declared himself to be their God, Matthew 22:32, It is, therefore, the same as if he had said, I have chosen you to myself as a people to whom I shall not only do good in the present life, but also bestow felicity in the life to come. The end contemplated in this is adverted to in the law in various passages. For when the Lord condescends in mercy to honor us so far as to admit us to partnership with his chosen people, he chooses us, as Moses says, to be a holy people, a peculiar people unto himself, to keep all his commandments. Deuteronomy 7, 6, 14, 2, 26, 18. Hence the exhortation, Ye shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Leviticus 19, 2. These two considerations form the ground of the remonstrance. A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. 
If then I be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear, saith the Lord of hosts? Malachi 1, 6. 15. Next follows a commemoration of his kindness, which ought to produce upon us an impression strong in proportion to the detestation in which ingratitude is held even among men. It is true, indeed, he was reminding Israel of a deliverance then recent, but one which, on account of its wondrous magnitude, was to be forever memorable to the remotest posterity. Moreover, it is most appropriate to the matter in hand. For the Lord intimates that they were delivered from miserable bondage, that they might learn to yield prompt submission and obedience to him as the author of their freedom. In like manners to keep us to his true worship, he often describes himself by certain epithets which distinguish his sacred deity from all idols and fictitious gods. For, as I formerly observed, such is our proneness to vanity and presumption, that as soon as God is named, our minds, unable to guard against error, immediately fly off to some empty delusion. In applying a remedy to this disease, God distinguishes his divinity by certain titles, and thus confines us, as it were, within distinct boundaries, that we may not wander hither and thither and feign some new deity for ourselves, abandoning the living God and setting up an idol. For this reason, whenever the prophets would bring him properly before us, they invest and, as it were, surround him with those characters under which he had manifested himself to the people of Israel. When he is called the God of Abraham, are the God of Israel. When he is stationed in the temple of Jerusalem, between the cherubim, these and similar modes of expression do not confine him to one place or one people, but are used merely for the purpose of fixing our thoughts on that God who so manifested himself in the covenant which he made with Israel, as to make it unlawful on any account to deviate from the strict view they are given of his character. Let it be understood, then, that mention is made of deliverance in order to make the Jews submit with greater readiness to that God who justly claims them as his own. We again, instead of supposing that the matter has no reference to us, should reflect that the bondage of Israel in Egypt was a type of that spiritual bondage in the fetters of which we are all bound, until the heavenly avenger delivers us by the power of his own arm, and transports us into his free kingdom. Therefore, as in old times, when he would gather together the scattered Israelites to the worship of his name, he rescued them from the intolerable tyranny of Pharaoh, so all who profess him now are delivered from the fatal tyranny of the devil of which that of Egypt was only a type. There is no man, therefore, whose mind ought not to be aroused to give heed to the law, which, as he is told, proceeded from the supreme king, 
from him who, as he gave all their being, justly destines and directs them to himself as their proper end. There is no man, I say, who should not hasten to embrace the lawgiver, whose commands, he knows, he has been specially appointed to obey, from whose kindness he anticipates an abundance of all good, and even a blessed immortality, and to whose wondrous power and mercy he is indebted for deliverance from the jaws of death. Thanks for listening. In the show notes, you can find contact information and a link to the text from today. Remember to heed Paul when he says in Ephesians 4.29 to Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers.